0: Great to see all of you today. This is, of course, Thanksgiving weekend for we who live in America. Uh, for our Canadian neighbors, Thanksgiving is the second Monday in October. Uh, you know, there are only actually seven or eight countries around the world that celebrate a Thanksgiving holiday and they do so at various times in October or November but here in the USA Thanksgiving is the fourth Thursday in November so this of course is the Sunday after Thanksgiving and we are going to take a momentary break from our study in the book of Daniel and I would like you to turn to Romans chapter 8 if you would please Romans and chapter 8 I'd like to begin by reading a few high, or a few of the high points in this incredible chapter With just a few brief comments. If you have never slowly or thoughtfully, uh, carefully read through this amazing portion of Scripture, or if it's been a while, may I encourage you to take some time this week to do so. Romans 8 is the the climax, the the apex, the mountaintop, the consummation of of all of the theology that the Apostle Paul has been teaching in chapters 1 through 7. It draws together all of our theology of salvation, all of our philosophy of living a Christ-honoring life. Uh, Romans chapter 8 can resolve so many of our struggles. It can correct so many wrong perspectives. It's an anchor for the soul in times of grief and heartache. It's it's a powerful testament to the eternal security of of the true believer in Jesus Christ. Every dedicated follower of Jesus needs to be familiar with this passage and what it teaches. We, We cannot say enough about Romans chapter 8, and we certainly cannot say enough about Romans chapter 8 in one sermon. The well-known American pastor, Dr. John MacArthur, preached, I believe, uh, over 50 sermons, a 50-sermon series, I think 52-sermon series on this chapter. Uh, A well-known British pastor, you may not be familiar with him, uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's been with the Lord for over 50 years. Uh, He preached a series of messages from Romans 8 and had over 70 sermons from this one chapter. So today we are we are barely scratching the surface of this mountaintop of theology. But what a jump from peak to peak, so to speak, in this mountain range. I trust whet your appetite for the careful, thoughtful reading of this chapter. And then there's one verse that we want to focus on in this incredible chapter here in Romans 8. So follow along with me as I just read a few of the high marks in uh, in this chapter, verses that may be familiar to many. The first one's in verse 1. The first phrase of verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I trust you will take those few words and those two lines and you will burn that thought into your heart because we live in a condemning world. We live in a world where people are always on each other and picking at each other and harassing at each other and criticizing each other. And, and, and we struggle and struggle and struggle walking with the Lord thinking God is going to condemn me because I'm not perfect. And yet, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, this phrase is for you. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you know Christ as your Savior, God has not condemned you. He never will condemn you. He has forgiven you. It is a great and glorious verse. Then look at verse 6. To be carnally minded is death, But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That makes common sense for if we know the Lord. Because he says the carnal mind, that is the worldly mind, is enmity against God. It means he's in conflict with God. He's an enemy of God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But Paul goes on to say, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So Paul very clearly says, when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God indwells your life. And if you have the Spirit of God in you, he said, you're not in the flesh, you're in the Spirit. And if you've got the Spirit of God in you, then you, Jesus Christ is there as well. Great, great thoughts again. Look at verse 16. Paul writes, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Again, a great thought. We know Jesus Christ as our Savior. We have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us. He is guiding us. He is leading us. And not, not, not only that, He is reminding us that we belong to Him. And he said, if we are children of God, then we're also heirs of God. That means that every single thing that Jesus Christ is going to have in heaven one day, we are going to have in heaven one day. There there, there are no grades or classes of people in heaven. Now, this person has, has all of God's blessings, and this person, well, they didn't do so well in life, so they just have a few less. No, he said, we are joint heirs with Christ, and every blessing of God the Father that is going to be in heaven is going to be there for every single person who's there. It's a great thought. And so he says, What I think about, Paul says, when I think about everything <coughs> excuse me, that, that is waiting for me in heaven, everything that God is going to give to me in heaven, all of the glories that are there. And then I look at this life, and I look at all the suffering and the challenges and the hardships and the heartaches and the headaches and all those things. I say, boy, you know, compared to what's waiting for me, this is nothing. Now, it feels lousy today, and I'm very discouraged today, but boy, I think about what's waiting for me. And he says, the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. Great thought. Verse 26, talking about the Holy Spirit again, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. You ever been in that circumstance? I just don't know how to pray. I don't know what to ask you for, Lord. He said, we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings That cannot be uttered. That is the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us when we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit within us. He helps us in our weaknesses. What a great thought, that first phrase of verse 26. If you're a Bible highlighter, I hope you're marking a few of these great phrases. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. So when we don't know how to pray, and we don't know what to pray for, and and maybe we're praying the wrong way and and we don't really know what to do, the Spirit of God is interceding for us. He's going between us and God the Father on our behalf because He knows exactly what to ask for. He he is praying for us in, in ways that we can't even comprehend. In verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. That great, great phrase that so many of God's people have clung to in times of hardship. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Then jump to verse 31. What shall we say to these things? Say, what are these things? If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. We talk about that in... in, uh, in (coughs) book of corinthians here in romans 8 there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in christ jesus the holy spirit of god bears witness with our spirit that we are his children the holy spirit of god helps us in our weaknesses the holy spirit of god prays on our behalf when we don't know what to pray and so paul says what shall we say to these things if god is for us who can be against us He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? And in the great passage, I I hope you're familiar with these, verse 35 to the end of the chapter, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword If you know Jesus Christ as your savior and that does not make you feel secure then you need to reread it again and think about it a little bit. In fact, when you think of verse 1, there's there now for no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, and you think of the very last verse, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you if you can read those two bookends of that chapter, those Holy Spirit-inspired words, and not one to at least breathe a quiet hallelujah, if not shout one, then you're either truly not born again or you're saved but in need of a real heart stirring for the Lord. But if you can read, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, and nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, it ought to make you want to say hallelujah. Anybody want to say it? Hallelujah. Thank you. That's great. Hey, let me, let, me, let, me, let me try something with you just for fun. I'm going to read the verse 1, and then you can shout hallelujah. And then I'm going to read verse 39, and then you can shout hallelujah again. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Very good. Neither height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Excellent. But our central question for today is this. Do you believe Romans 8.28? And I don't mean believe it in an academic way, a theological fact that you accept is true because it's in the Bible. I mean, do you, do you believe it in, in, in the way that, that the truth of Romans 828 will direct your life? Does it guide your thoughts? Does it guide your attitudes? Does it control your perspective? Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Does that verse guide your thoughts and your attitudes? Does it control your perspectives on life? Does it direct your life? In the last two weeks, I have been hit with real feelings of grief, not my own personal grief or personal loss, but the challenging situations of other people. There have been so much sorrow, so much loss, so much heartache, and I was brought back to this verse again and again. Do I really believe Romans 8.28? I could give you a long list of things, but let me just share three brief things with you. You're familiar with the songwriter Ron Hamilton. Uh, He was one of the founders of Majesty Music. We use one of Majesty Music's hymnals. We sing a bunch of Ron Hamilton songs. There's about probably there's over sixty of his songs in our hymn book. He has been used of the Lord to touch the lives of tens of thousands of people through his music since the early seventies. You may remember the story I've told you when he was in his late twenties. He 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 lost his left eye to cancer. Well, in 2010, 11 years ago, Ron, great songwriter, great, great hymn writer, uh, he began to show the beginning signs of dementia. He was able to continue writing music on a small scale for a few more years, up through 2015. He still did a little bit of traveling through 2017, but has been in steady decline ever since. Let me read you just one piece of a letter that his wife wrote that I, I read just, uh, just this past week she said ron is in the presently in the final stage seven of dementia he's bedridden until a nurse can comfortably situate him in a wheelchair open ulcers on both feet remain a continual concern the joy of the lord however remains his constant companion we do not know how many more days god will give ron on this earth sometimes he appears worse than others Although his passing does not seem imminent, it could be at any time. I am making final preparations in case his homegoing is sooner rather than later. God has given Ron a 40-year window with the gift of language and music. Now, with Ron's frontotemporal dementia, language is the gift that's been taken away. But uncannily, music still remains. And she closes by saying, The Lord gave and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. She believes in Romans 8.28. Last year, during the COVID shutdown, I met on a Zoom prayer meeting a missionary pastor serving in a native community in Northwest Ontario. I was in this prayer meeting via Zoom with a number of fellows in Northwest Ontario who serve in native ministries there. I was stunned to hear last week of the death of one of the sons of this fellow, of of one of the fellows on that Zoom call. This young man was in his freshman year at Frontier School of the Bible in LaGrange, Wyoming. He was out with a friend to celebrate his 18th birthday and was in a collision with a semi. Both were instantly in the presence of the Lord. He grew up in a dedicated Christian family. His folks were serving the Lord in full-time ministry. He knew the Lord. He loved the Lord. He served the Lord. He was studying for ministry and by all accounts had a wonderful testimony for Jesus. Born November 17th of 2003. Died November 17th of 2021 on his 18th birthday. His funeral was just yesterday. Do you believe Romans 8.28? Do all things really Work together for good? I attended a funeral recently of a young man who died in tragic circumstances. His father spoke at the funeral, spoke of all the recent deaths and losses locally, and the heartache that so many are experiencing. You could have heard a pin drop in the room. He said, All this sorrow makes one wonder if we've been cursed in some way, he said he said to the crowd uh, regardless of your church affiliation or non-affiliation you'd better be praying to the Lord every day pleading for mercy interesting perspective from someone who probably doesn't share our theology in many ways but when sorrow and grief and loss and sickness and tragedy and heartache when it strikes us and our faith is tested and our conviction is, is shaken to the core and, and we cry out, why to, to God do we believe Romans 8.28? Many people, even followers of Jesus, have at least two problems with this verse. And they kind of resist, in some ways, totally leaning on it. Uh, the first problem is, is they think that it, it just, it's just promising something that they have trouble believing. The verse says, we know that all things work together for good. And and they say in their own mind, how can you be so sure about that, Apostle Paul? A lot of folks aren't as sure as Paul was. We, We hope all things will work together for good. We believe they probably do, but do we really know that to be true? Do we know all things work together for good? And then the second problem a lot of people have is because it includes this word that a lot of people think should be left out, when Paul says, all things work together for good, that just seems a little too definite for us. Yeah, we might go so far as to say, some things work together for good, but, but all things? You know, we understand that out, that out of difficulty, we learn great lessons of faith that can't come any other way. So yeah, yeah, clearly some things work together for good, but can we be sure that it's really all things? Maybe these words are are true in the theoretical sense or perhaps in some statement of faith, but are are they true in in every part of life, all things? Well, I don't have to tell you that Romans 8.28 is one of the most beloved verses in all the Bible. You know that. Some of you sitting here today could give testimony to that fact. You were sick, you were hospitalized, some other trauma came to your life, and this verse was like a medicine to your soul. You lost a loved one. Somehow these words carried you through. You maybe were crushed and beaten by the trials of life. And this verse gave you hope to go on. But a lot of folks who are not grounded in the scripture, they they hear this verse quoted. And instead of being comfort to their soul, it kind of comes across to them like it's some sort of a cruel joke. They say, what do you mean by good and, and, and all things? Sickness isn't good, and murder isn't good, and divorce isn't good, and suicide isn't good, and the death of someone I love isn't good. And unfortunately, this verse is sometimes used by well-meaning Christians who who share it with those who are suffering as though it, it answers every question of life. But it's in the Bible, and it's not going to go away, and we who you know the Lord don't want it to go away. We love it, and we are comforted by it, well, when we understand it, which brings us back to the basic question, do you really believe Romans 8.28? There are four perspectives that I think we need to keep in mind as we read this verse. These perspectives are certainly not original with me. There there are thousands of sermons that have been preached on this verse, but we need to understand this verse as it was intended to be understood, and this is the way to do so. Our first principle, our first perspective is this. We must start with God. There are two different Greek words that are translated know in our English New Testament. K-N-O-W. Not know, I'm not going to do it, but I, I know this. Two different words. One means that we know because of what we have learned. A knowledge that we have acquired. The word in this verse, however, implies that we know without a doubt because we've seen it and we've developed a fullness of knowledge. So when Paul says... We know that all things work together for good. He is saying, we know because God is there. We know because God is good. We know because God has a plan. We know because God has a purpose. So we know without a doubt. You know, some people look at life like, like, like a roll of the dice. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And, and they believe that after a tragedy, somehow, some way, God is going to show up to help, help make everything turn out right. But that's not really the biblical perspective. The biblical perspective on this verse is that really God is at work. It's not luck. It's not chance. It's not blind fate. Romans 8.28 begins with God. He was there before it all happened. He's there when it happens. He is there after it's all over. But, but then what do you say when a little child dies? What do you say when a, when a cop gets shot by a drug dealer? Or some grandmothers and some kids get run over at a Christmas parade by a lunatic, which just happened last week. <clears throat> or when some young couple die on the mission field. Or somebody gets cheated out of their inheritance. Or a loved one dies of, of COVID. Or when a marriage falls apart after 30 or 40 years. It's very hard for people to see how those things could be good. And when we look at these situations, we got to resist the, the easy explanation. Sometimes tragedies happen, and, and, and well-meaning people say, Well, it's not really a tragedy. It, it, it just looks that way. Trust God. Well, if you think tragedy is not really a tragedy, you'll probably end up losing your faith altogether. Because the Bible never asks us to pretend that tragedy isn't tragedy, or to pretend that our pain isn't real. The point is that we must recognize the active involvement of God. What happens to you and me is not just the mechanical turning of some impersonal force. It's not fate or karma or luck. God is actively at work in our lives. We know that because we know God. We know because we know who God is. The first seven chapters of Romans explain who God is and what He is doing in His relationship to this world. So the Apostle Paul, in understanding trials and suffering and tragedy, he says, We know that all things work together for good because we know God. We know who He is. So we trust God in all things because we know who he is. If we're going to get the right perspective on this verse, we have to start with God. But then secondly, we have to have the long-term perspective. So many things in life seem unexplainable. A nice Christian kid dies young. A wicked old rascal lives to be 90. A faithful follower of Jesus struggles financially because he's honest. A crook lives high on the hog for decades. Why do the Lord's people suffer and the ungodly seem to prosper? The list of those questions is endless. Seen in isolation, they don't seem to make any sense at all. If there is a purpose behind those circumstances, we often can't see it. And our danger is that we judge what we can't see by what we can see. And, and if we can't see a purpose, then we assume that there isn't one. But but you can't judge the end of the matter by the beginning of the matter. Paul says, we know that all things work together for good. The phrase work together it's actually one word in the Greek text. We get our English word synergy from it. What is synergy, you might ask? Well, if you studied any kind of chemical things or mechanical engineering or things of that nature, synergy is what happens when you put two or more elements together to form something brand new that neither of them could could, could form separately. That's, that's synergy, the, the combination of many elements to produce a positive and better result. And that's the word here that's translated in our English Bible, work together synergy that's what the apostle paul means when he says god causes all things to work together many of the things that make no sense when they're seen in isolation are in fact working together to produce something good in my life there is a divine synergy in the darkest moments of life. There is a synergy that produces something positive, and, and the good that is ultimately produced couldn't happen any other way. Paul's saying our experience is like that. God begins with the raw materials of life, including some parts that seem to serve no good purpose. Those materials are acted upon by the pressure of life and heat, and then they're bent and shaped and joined together, and over time, something beautiful is created, not by accident, but by divine design. And nothing gets wasted in the process. And that's how we look at life, if we know Christ as our Savior. We know all things work together in a divine synergy, but we need a long-term perspective. And the third one, and this is where many people stumble, we have to define the word good. Our verse says, all things work together for good. But what is the good that he's talking about? For most of us, when we talk about good, that equals things like health and happiness and solid relationships and long life and money and food on the table and, and work that we like, a job we like, a nice place to live. That, that's all good. We think the the good life means for us a better set of circumstances. Once again, that's not necessarily the biblical viewpoint. In this case, we don't have to wonder what Paul means. He defines it for us in the very next verse. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness or to the image of his Son. That makes it very clear what God's after. God has predestined, means predetermined, for you and me to a certain goal, a certain end, and that is, that is good that we would be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. So, see, God's good and our good are not the same thing. God is at work in our lives making us more like Jesus Christ. He has predetermined us to that end. He is at work in our lives making that happen. So anything that makes you more like Jesus Christ according to God is good. Anything that pulls you away from Jesus Christ is bad. And when Paul says all things work together for good... He's not saying that the tragedies and heartaches of life will always produce a better set of circumstances. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But God is not committed to making you happy, wealthy, and successful. Many years ago, I asked a, a lady that uh, was going to our church another state before I moved to Montana. I, I, it always struck me funny. I always laugh about it. And I said, How's so and so asking her how, how her son was? And she says, Well, you've heard of being healthy, wealthy, and wise. Well, he's healthy. And I was chuckled about that. She didn't think he had a whole lot of faith in the healthy and wise, I mean in the wealthy and wise part, but he he was he was healthy. But see what God God is not committed to making us happy and successful. He is committed to making us like Jesus Christ. And whatever it takes to make you more like Jesus Christ is good. So in the providence of God, we learn more in the darkness than we do in the light. We tend to gain more from sickness than we do from health. We pray more when we're scared than when we're confident. And everything that happens to you, the tragedies, the unexplained circumstances, even the stupid choices you make, they will all be used in the providence of God's loving purposes to make us more like Jesus Christ. Because anything that makes us like Jesus is ultimately good. A little poem someone wrote many years ago, I walked a mile with pleasure, she chattered all the way, but I was none the wiser for all she had to say. Then I walked a mile with sorrow, and never a word said she, but oh the lessons I did learn when sorrow walked with me. And I think that's one of our biggest problems with Romans 8.28. Our good and God's good are not the same. We want happiness and fulfillment and peace and long life. Meanwhile, God is at work in us and through us and by everything that happens to us to transform us to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, does that include the things that hurt me deeply? Yes, it does. Does that include the times when we're heartbroken? Yes, it does. Does that include the times when I blow it and I sin? Yes, it does. Does that include the times when I doubt God? Yes, it does. God God is always at work and He never makes mistakes and He is never surprised. That's what Paul means when he says, we know. We know it because we know God. And he said it. His word is trustworthy, that guarantees it. His character rests upon it. We know not by looking at the events of life, Pastor Ray Pritchard said it this way, we know it by studying the pattern of the cloth, or not by studying the pattern of the cloth, but by knowing the designer of the fabric. We know it not by listening to the notes of the symphony, but by knowing the composer of the music. There are many things we don't know. We don't know why children die or cars wreck or planes crash or why families break up or why people we love get sick and suddenly die. But this we do know. God is always at work and He has not forgotten us. Do you really believe Romans 8.28? Absolutely we should. But we've got to properly define what good means. And then the fourth principle for us is this. <laughs> We've got to understand the limitations of this verse. You say, there's a limit to it? Yeah, there is. Look at the last phrase. We know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. See, that's an all-important limitation. This promise is for those who love God and who have been called according to His purpose. This verse is true for people who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's not a blanket promise to the whole human race. The word translated call here, the call, it's only used 11 times in the New Testament, and note it is the called. Those who love God who are the called, a specific group of people. This word is also translated invited, invited because it implies a relationship you are invited to a specific event because of a relationship so we can truly say that romans 8 28 in many ways it has an evangelistic tone to it and we can ask two very simple questions have you ever responded to god's call god's invitation god calls out for people to come to him for salvation for forgiveness have you ever responded to that Are you a part of God's saving purpose? You you can just answer yes or no to those questions. There's no middle ground. It's either a yes or a no. You've either responded to God's call and you're a part of His saving purpose or or you're not. But until you can answer yes to those questions, this verse doesn't really apply to you. So we come back to the basic question. Do you really believe Romans 8.28? You know, if we really believe verse 1 and verse 39, then we should have no problem believing verse verse 28. In in facing the sorrows and losses and tragedies and heartaches and trials of life, start with God. Have a long-term perspective. Understand what God means by good. And understand the limitations of the verse. And we don't simply smile through the tears and just pretend everything's okay. But no matter what happens to us, No matter how tragic our God is there, He has not left us. His purposes are being worked out as much in the darkness as they are in the light. Therefore, we can say with the Apostle Paul, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. And we say that not because we have all the answers, but because we know the God who does. All things ultimately contribute to the ultimate good of Christlikeness for those who love God, those who are the invited according to His purpose. That doesn't answer every question, but it does answer the big question. And that is this, does God know what He's doing? Yes, He does. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know the God who knows what He's doing. And in the hardships of this life, that will ultimately be enough let's pray lord we know that in these last months even in just these last few weeks been such sorrow and such heartache and such loss nothing new about that people are passing away people are getting sick people are in accidents Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times every single week, actually every single day. But when it touches us, Lord, it's often hard for us to really get a a good handle on Romans 8.28. To realize that all things work together for good, good as you have defined it. For we who know you as our Savior, we are the called according to your purpose. Lord, we expect that in the months and years to come, there will be more sorrow and loss and heartache and difficulty. That's a a part of living in this world. But I pray that we who know you as our Savior will lean very strongly on this great passage of Scripture. And Lord, when our hearts are breaking and we're grieving and we don't understand what's going on or why, I pray that we will rest in the God who knows all, and in the God who loves us, and in the God who has forgiven us, and in the God who will ultimately give us all things freely to enjoy when we see Jesus Christ in heaven. Help us, Lord, to be obedient to you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.